There were times when we really thought carefully about what we were going to get from a certain partner and, and had to walk away when they asked for the 10th change to our roadmap or something, and it was just becoming too much. Um, I think it's always worth knowing whether you should really fight and push your team uh, for a particular partnership to get over the line and whether you should say, what is the cost of choosing to do features A, B, and C? And what are my customers going to lose? What is my team going to lose? And is that really worth it just for this deal? That's Christina Cordova. Christina is an expert on partnerships, having led the partnerships team at Stripe and Notion. In today's episode, we dive into what early stage startups need to know about partnerships. My name is Kojo Asai, and you're listening to Inside Round. Welcome to the show, Christina. Let's kick off today's show by defining what partnerships is at a startup. I think for a lot of product-focused founders, they may not have had a lot of familiarity with the term or with the partnerships function at a company. So lay it out for us. What does it mean to do partnerships at a company? Yeah, yeah. So I like to think about it as, um, as a startup, you are typically within a broader ecosystem of companies everywhere from competitors to people who maybe work up or down the stack in the same space as you. And I always like to think about the ecosystem as uh, a set of companies that you can either compete with in, in one sense of the word or partner with or sell to as customers. And on the partnerships front, it's very much thinking through what you can glean from another partner in the space. So a good example would be when you're a particular company and you're thinking about distribution, how do you get customers? In Stripe's early days, for example, I joined it less than 30 people, we had no sales team. We weren't doing sales. We had to get customers some other way. And we did that through distribution partnerships. So partnerships in that way can really help you grow and get customers through another partner without necessarily having to have a super large sales team in the early days. And then on the other front, you might be building a product and you might say, well, I'm building you know, pieces X, Y, and Z, but it would be great if there was another company out there that could do ABC. And are there companies out there that we can partner with so that I don't have to build this whole stack of services? So in uh, Stripe's world, again, as another example, can we partner with a bank rather than become a bank ourselves? Because that will make it much easier for us to bring this product to market. Can we partner with Apple to do mobile payments since obviously they have a lot of phones out in the market? So thinking about what are the other companies out there that can give you leverage if you're thinking about building a product in a particular space. So the two most obvious areas, I think, for early stage startups to think about partnerships is, is really around distribution as you're trying to grow and then to product as you're trying to find product market fit and then scale it into kind of new and different product areas. So uh, that's where I've spent most of my time on the partnerships front. When does it make sense for a founder to bring in someone like yourself to take on the partnerships role versus doing it themselves? How early in the formation of a company should founders be thinking about having a distinct partnerships function? Yeah. So I think it really varies depending on the startup. So in some cases, it's foundational. So if you're doing product partnerships in the very early days. Typically, if there's a foundational partner, that's required for you to launch your business. So in, in Stripe's case, again, that was partnering with Wells Fargo so that we could actually 
give all of our customers a merchant account to get started with Stripe. And that was a partnership that we had to start when we were a handful of employees. And it was you know, something that would have prevented us from watching if, if we didn't have that. So in some cases, if you're an infrastructure type of startup at the key that you partner with AWS, for example, um, to get your product up and running, that's foundational to you, right? It's a relationship that you need to build from scratch, from the ground up and build it over time. So often I would say at startups where there are foundational partnerships that you need to form at the beginning, typically a founder is doing that, right? And so you may not think about it as, oh, this is a function in my company yet, um, but it's just something that you know as a founder that you have to do. Um, so that was the way that it worked for Stripe, for example, and we sought help from other people who had familiarity with those partnerships in the space. And then over time, as a company grows, you start to think about what is this entire ecosystem that exists around my company and what are my customers asking me for? And often your customers will straight ask you for a partnership, right? Hey, like, why don't you have an integration with this company or this company? Um, and that's like the first sign that partnerships will probably be relevant to your business. So when your customers are asking your product work really well with another product um, that they might take advantage of. And then that integration point is particularly crucial to their experience with your product. So as an example, if you're selling in the fintech world, if you don't work with the accounting platform of a particular customer, then you might not be able to sell to them at all. So there might be a partnership that is really required for you to work with a certain kind of customer. Um, so those are the kinds of signals that your business is probably starting to think about partnerships. And then I have also just different approaches for how to think about in all the realms of ways that you could operate, who are the kinds of partners that you should think about working with? And I also think that at an early stage startup, there are certain partnerships that you might want to stay away from as well. So those are all things to, to, to think through as well. That's a great segue into the next question. I think there can be an assumption sometimes that partnerships are by default a good thing. What are some signals that founders should be paying attention to to watch out for partnerships that could be a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Waste of time is exactly what I was thinking of in terms of like partnerships where you're like, oh, like we're working with this company now and we signed this agreement. And I think it often happens with larger companies when you're a startup because these partners will have these like large partner programs and uh, you as a startup think that if I get added to this big company's partnership program, then it's really going to move the needle for my business. And then you realize that at the end of the day, this company is going to do really well at se selling their product, but they may not do so well selling your product, right? It's hard enough for them to, to sell their own product, selling someone else's even tougher. So those things can be really difficult. So try to understand if you're signing up for something that's like a, a program where you're one of thousands of partners. Um, and is that worth your time ultimately to other people who've done that before um, and figure out if it's actually been worth the time that they put into it. And then second, for a partnership that's maybe a little bit more bespoke, you're working with a larger company and they want you to do something relatively unique and maybe you would be the only or one of a few companies that they would partner with on that front. One, I would really think about whether things like 
exclusivity or being just one of two or three partners really matters to you and try to get that in writing if you can from a partnership's perspective because there have been times when it felt like I was working with a big partner and that it was going to be exclusive and then at the end it turned out not to be um, and that was always a not so fun surprise so where you can't avoid that do and then at the same time, a lot of these larger partners will just try to push you around as a startup. Like they know that they have a lot of leverage and working with you and trying to push you around on terms and just really drag out a negotiation and make it miserable. And those are pretty classic things that a larger company will do to a startup because they know um, that ultimately they can. And so as a startup, really thinking about what are the key things that you do not want to give away or that must be true in order for this deal to be worth it for you before you enter into any kind of negotiation. And that way you have the things that you're going to stick to before you enter into a negotiation and know, oh, this was the point, like exclusivity was the point of doing this whole thing. And if I don't get exclusivity, then I need to walk away. Um, and it's much better to do that beforehand than to do it in the middle of a deal where there are all of these emotions and you put all your time into it. And it feels like you can't necessarily walk away from the table. I, I think in a lot of cases, these larger partnerships, you really have to think about communicating with your partner. What are the things you expect to get out of it? So that's really key. If I expect that you'll drive 100,000 users to my platform in the first year of this partnership, then you better say that up front. And I think that can really hold the other partner to making sure that they're going to deliver on that. And even if they don't deliver, at the very least, they know what your expectations are so that if you don't hit that, it's time to put the partnership to an end and, and kind of move on. And then lastly, I would just say be wary about the partnerships that are going to throw off your own like internal engineering and product roadmap. There were definitely times that we signed partnerships and um, in my experience where it threw off the roadmap for a few months and it was totally worth it. There were times when we really thought carefully about what we were going to get from a certain partner and, and had to walk away when they asked for the 10th change to our roadmap or something and it was just becoming too much um so you know we did both of those and i think in, in retrospect we did the right things there but i think it's always worth knowing whether you should really fight and push your team uh, for a particular partnership to get over the line and whether you should say what is the cost of choosing to do features a b and c and what are my customers going to lose what is my team going to lose and is that really worth it just for this deal? Going back to the point about exclusivity, when should founders push for exclusivity in a partnership versus not? How should they be thinking about how important exclusivity is in a partnership? Yeah, yeah. So that should become even more important in both sales conversations with customers as well as with partners um, on the distribution side. And I think that's because in a lot of cases, you have to think about where uh, a company like Stripe makes its money. It's not from like uh, an upfront SaaS fee that I pay at the beginning of the year and is going to come to me every month or what have you. You have to run payments through the system in order for Stripe to make any money at the end of the day because it's based on usage of the service. And so there has to be some kind of guarantee that you are going to bring me X if I'm going to give you 
significantly discounted rates, or in the case of a partnership, a particular kind of revenue share. Because giving you a higher revenue share isn't really worth it if you're not bringing uh, a certain amount of volume my way. And so tying those two things together, you can do it in a bunch of different ways. You can say, hey, either you're running a billion dollars through my platform this year, or you don't get this discount. And instead you go to this like other kind of tier of, of pricing or revenue share or something to that effect. Or you say you're exclusive to me um, and you can't run payments or partner with anybody else in this space. Um, the partner is probably more aware of like how fast they're going to grow, what their number is going to be in a year or two from now, whereas I don't really know. <laughs> and so doing that deal on the other side, you might think my business is flattening out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring $500 million this year um, in revenue. So maybe I should just agree to exclusivity instead of some kind of tiering system. So I think in a lot of cases where you have these like usage-based models, exclusivity really does make the difference. And two, it's a really great PR story as well. So no journalist is interested in writing about, oh, Stripe was added as the 15th payment processor on some e-commerce platform. That's not an interesting story to anyone. I always thought about it in the context of, can we call this an exclusive partnership and can we go to market with that? Um, because if a partner like Shopify is exclusively partnering with Stripe, that sends a signal to the broader market if we're able to create a story around that. Um, the company's really like placing a bet on us. And that says something versus what it says to just be one of many different providers out there. And that's the other piece that, that matters as well. And thinking about like logo rights and press and marketing and all those kinds of things come along with that as well. Um, because think about who are the other partners that see who you're partnering with and want to partner with you too as a result of that. In a lot of cases, you're talking about these kinds of terms, exclusivity for the context of the one deal that you're doing today, but it also is very helpful for getting the fifth or the 10th deal um, down the line. And on the marketing point, especially for a small startup, it can help to establish a lot of credibility within the ecosystem. So exclusivity is just one of the clauses that you can have in a partnership. What are some of the other finer points that go into a partnership conversation? Yeah, I work with a good number of kind of infrastructure type companies. I consider these of Stripe, like it payments infrastructure at its core. But a lot of the companies that I work with consider themselves more behind the scenes, right? They're not necessarily up in front as a B2B SaaS product. They're under the hood. And in a lot of cases, when you're an under the hood product, uh, people don't know who you are. People don't know that you're there, even if you're in the market. Only if you like view source on a payments checkout page, do you know that Stripe is behind it? And so that's good and bad in the sense, like it's what the customer wants. They want to feel like something is like fully branded to their own website. It's one of the big differentiators between PayPal. Like when you check out with PayPal because of what it looks like. And so it's a big difference. And I think I've always looked at it as uh, for these infrastructure companies that are behind the scenes, what are the ways that they can get their brand out there? So often when you are partnering in the infrastructure world, I think there is some way to get your branding out there. And so I think first point is the customer who's using your product and the partner's product. Do they know that everybody 
is there. So for example, branding comes into play here with a product like Shopify. They launched Shopify Payments, which was a branded version of Stripe's offering under the hood. Um, and one of the things that I think Stripe cared about for a long time, I'm not sure if this is still the case, that it was powered by Stripe. And having that branded out there really helped us get the next set of partners. With a lot of the infrastructure companies that I'm working with now, I like to think about it in the context of like customer ownership. So if you're partnering with a company, do they own the customer? Do you own the customer? Do you jointly own different aspects of the customer's journey? Do you have a relationship with them? Can you get their email addresses? Can you market to them? Um, those are all, I think, really key points to thinking, do I have a relationship with this customer? Is that key to my being able to uh, partner with this company and stick with them for, for a long time um, and really get value out of that? And so customer ownership and data ownership, I, I would say, are um, some key points that I usually talk to a lot of companies about uh, that they haven't really thought through. It all sounded good. And then you get a term sheet from a company and it's, oh, partner will own all customer data. And you're like, oh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have said something uh, about my intention that I, I cared about that. That would be another thing that, that I would think about. Branding, go to market. So anything like marketing. PR related because in a lot of distribution partnerships, I found, again, they'll give you all the things that they do for everybody. Oh, like we'll add your logo to our website or we will include some screenshots and some marketing materials or something to that effect. But um, like, where do you want to be in front of the customer and how can you um, argue that you really should be like front and center in a customer focused way. Those are, you know, also key points. And the financials and all that stuff are going to be obviously really critical, but really are going to vary widely depending on the business. I want to switch gears a bit to talk about the internal workings of a partnerships team. First of all, where do partnerships sit in an org structure? Is it under engineering, product, sales, marketing? And what does the dynamic look like among the partnerships team and the rest of the organization? Yeah. Um, so in my world, I've always seen that partnerships, if they're integral to the business, I've found that the person who's leading that function is typically reporting to the CEO um, in a lot of cases, because as I mentioned, a lot of partnerships are touching revenue, they're touching products, they're touching a lot of different parts of the company. So often if a partnership's function is very wide ranging in terms of the impact that it has on the organization, reporting to the CEO makes a lot of sense because the CEO sees all business. Whereas a lot of companies that I see, if the partnership's function is primarily revenue driven, driving distribution, for example, um, and that there's a lot of interplay with the sales team as a result of that, then sometimes they will report to the CRO and they will have a revenue number attached to the function that the function is supposed to bring in. So whenever you hear like channel sales, I would say, or channel partnerships, that is 
typically under a revenue kind of leader. And then where you see things like platform or product partnerships, if a company is very heavy on that end and not so heavy on the, the distribution and revenue front, then that kind of a leader can sometimes report directly to a chief product officer, for example, or product and engineering leader. Um, so sometimes at a company you might only have one of those, and that is where I commonly see the split, um, reporting to a CRO or reporting to a chief product officer. So those are the, the three functions that I would say partnerships typically sits under, but I, I would say it can really vary by company who's interested in this area of the business, who has a lot of interconnections with this part of the business, that kind of a thing. But yeah, the companies I've typically liked to work with, it's typically at the, the CEO level because there are so many different facets of partnerships that it doesn't align to just one function. And it's so integral to the business strategy as well. What does a healthy reliance on partnerships for revenue look like? How would you advise the companies you work with today to think about their reliance on partnerships? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say in, in a lot of the companies that I work with now, you told me that you're only planning to get uh, your revenue through partners. That would strike me as a little strange. <laughs> I think, you know, the companies that I like to invest in most, that I'd like to be part of most are ones where your revenue sources are actually quite diverse. So you do sales, you have a self-serve motion and and you can do partnerships and all three of those things can bring revenue to the business. That way you're just not heavily dependent on any one of them. There is a you know, time when Stripe had a significant portion of revenue coming in through partnerships. And while it's always nice to be the partnerships leader who makes that happen, you really do want to see a more diverse makeup of revenue. That way you don't have, you know, any one partner who, if they decide to go and partner with somebody else the next day, that like there goes 20% of your revenue, that would be concerning. Of course, you, you want to matter and you want to have revenue to bring to the business, but I think it's more important that you have diverse streams of revenue coming in. And that's typically what's best for the business to be able to do, you know, all of those things very well. I want to switch gears to talk a little bit, not about partnerships, but about working an early stage company in general. What frameworks led you to working at Stripe and then Notion? How do you think about working at an early stage company versus working at a big tech company? Yeah. Well, first, I want to acknowledge the amount that luck plays into a lot of things. It's easy to say, just go like you just like placed these bets. But sometimes a lot of things just happen to work out. And I think luck is a good portion. So a little bit of hard work, a little bit of luck. And so what I would say is try to think about what you really are trying to achieve. I think I talk to people and really what their values are at a given point in time in their life are comfort and safety and security and all those things. And my, my first response would not be, well, join a startup. <laughs> If, if those are your values at a certain point in time. And also just, I think early career, I would really think about exploration a lot. One of the things that I felt was really good for me just to have done it was to have my my first role out of college be at Google. Um, Cause I was like, oh, like I want to work at tech. And then I went to Google and was just like, whoa, this place is huge. And I feel like I could get hit by a bus the next day and the company would move right on. And that was true. Uh, 
And that's what you want at a company at scale, that like no one person, but not being there can, can ruin the business. And so it was one of those things that made me realize that I wanted to be at a much smaller place, working on like a large variety of things versus being in this like small area of the business working on something where I didn't feel the direct impact of my work day to day. So I, I went back like after seven weeks at Google to working at startups. I, I realized that was a mistake. So I think like making some mistakes um, when you realize that the fit is not there is actually like a really good thing. My first uh, startup internship was actually startup with gaming. And I liked the startup for a number of reasons, but it also helped me learn that like gaming was not an area I was interested in. So being able to have those experiences, if you can get if your early career internships or part-time roles that can help you learn about spaces and realize that you either really like them or really don't, um, that can be really helpful. And how I chose Stripe and Notion. I would say my first emphasis on any company that I choose is the people. And that matters like more than anything else. And that's on a few different fronts. So when I say like, find a startup with good people, I don't just mean, do they have a pedigree or those kinds of things? It's really not about that. It's a combination of like, do I think this person really understands this space and is extremely passionate about it. Do I think this person is going to take care of me, the employee? As a startup employee, there are things that can happen when a startup doesn't go so right, like an aqua hire or something like that. Do I think that they're going to like optimize for the employees, protect the people and be a good person in those kinds of transactions rather than just be on the more selfish side of things? And then do I think this person is someone that I could learn from? And I think that's really key in the sense that a lot of startup leaders are like super young. I've worked for startup leaders that are younger than I am. And I should still think that there is a lot that I can learn from a person like that. So a combination of those things are, are what I think of when I think about people. And then certainly not just the founders, but then the founding team would be the other element of that. Are they able to attract really great people and do people who are really strong gravitate towards these founders? But when I was interviewing at Stripe, it was like, oh, these founders are really fantastic. But also the first 20 years. 25 people there that I got to work with were really stellar as well. And I just kept meeting more and more people. And I was like, oh, this person's great too. And this person's great too. And how rare is that? It just really felt like a step above. And then second, I would say really thinking about the market of a particular startup is key. Again, it may not matter to you. Maybe you just want to work in a particular space. But for me, I was also looking at this as an opportunity that can be financially life-changing for me. And so if that's a goal of yours, which it may not be, I would say try to find a company that's building a product in a market that is very fast growing um, and that you think this company can be the market leader or a market leader in their space and could net you a billion, multi-billion dollar you know, outcome for a given startup in their space. So with Stripe, it was very much a focus on the fact that the bees founders were building payments tools for other developers. They were the customer. And so I think it was really great in the sense that they understood what a developer would want from a payments world perspective, but they had no payments industry expertise. So eventually they had to bring that um, expertise in-house. But I thought just the unique 
um, position that they had in really knowing the customer and understanding that the customer was them and that they could build a lot for that customer, I think was really exciting. And then payments and e-commerce was a super fast growing market. Um, and you saw that even more with the pandemic with people buying things from home and uh, not necessarily going back to as much in-person stuff as, as they were before. Super fast growing market on the whole. And then with Notion, I think uh, I definitely felt that same kind of people factor with the founder when I first met him. Uh, I was actually doing a reference call for someone else who was thinking about joining the company. And I ended up on the phone with him for two hours as he was giving me all these questions about this person he wanted to hire and just taught me that he was extremely passionate about finding the right person for this role um, and for his company. And I got to learn all about it and that experience. That first experience with a founder, I think, was really enlightening in that way. And then second, I knew that they were recruiting really fantastic people and building a fantastic team because they started recruiting people literally on my team at Stripe. <laughs> And so the first time that I had someone come to me on my team at Stripe and say, hey, sorry, I'm leaving. I'm joining Notion. I was just like, hmm, okay, I guess Notion is doing a pretty good job of hiring and building out their team. And then similarly, collaboration and finding information and knowledge management, I think is a huge space for companies to be in right now. And knowing that a lot of us still working remotely and working in different ways than we thought we would be even five years ago, I think it's becoming even more important. So combination, I would say of people and market. Um, and if you think those are really strong and then lastly, do you have a good manager? Like, I think a lot of people don't really think of a lot about that. But it really does matter. And I had the same manager at Stripe for over six years, which is extremely rare in startups. Often your manager will change every like six months or something like that. But if you believe that you can learn something from your manager and it may not be someone who's in your area of expertise, I'm actually very fond of managers who may not have experience doing what you're doing, but have experience in other areas, but you feel like that can still be a growth opportunity for you. Um, that's great too. I always find it so fascinating how picking which company to join is very similar to picking a company to investing. And so what you're saying very deeply resonates with me. To wrap up, one question that I like to ask is what is something that was unexpected about the Stripe culture or the Notion culture that you think helped the company succeed and that other founders would be better served to pay attention to? Yeah. I think one thing that really did Stripe well was this focus on this great mindset, ultimately, knowing that, yeah, you built some really great APIs. You have a product that uh, thousands of customers use. Um, but there are some customers that like don't like certain features or can't use your product in certain ways. And there are a lot of ways to improve. And you even see this with the founders, like still today, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet where someone was like, oh, like Stripe is the most amazing product ever. I love it. And then one of the founders replied saying, oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Is there anything we could do better? <laughs> and just that like maniacal focus of not thinking that you're done yet or that you have the best product and really listening to customers and trying to improve the product, I think are things that existed in the very, very early days when we were sending like handwritten thank you notes to our first beta customers all the way till today. And 
I think just never resting on the fact that you're big, uh, that companies love you. It's a really good trait to have if you expect to continue to grow into, into the larger market. Christina, such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for coming. Cool. Thank you for having me. Inside Round is brought to you by Matrix Partners, an early stage venture firm. If you enjoyed today's show, subscribe for another exciting episode next week. I'm Kojo, your host, and you can reach me at kojo at matrixpartners.com or on Twitter at heykojo. That's H-E-Y, Kojo.